0: Welcome to another edition of the College 12 Pack. I'm your host, Patrick John, Senior Editor of College Wire. With me, as always, Tyler Natuno of LSU Tigers Wire. And it's a lot of fun because now we're really getting into it, Tyler. We're really getting into the season. We're getting to talk about the games that actually matter. You know, not to say week zero didn't matter, but there wasn't a lot of big matchups. And last week we saw some. This week we're going to get into some more. But before we get into week two, as we preview, There's several games I kind of want to touch on uh, here on the College 12-pack that I kind of feel like we need to discuss. You know, For instance, Tyler, let's talk about Florida versus Utah. I know you're a big Gators guy. Watching that game, did that give you a lot of concern about Billy Napier and what he's doing uh, with that team? I know Utah's a team that a lot of people expect to do well in the Pac-12 once again. Uh, But even without Cameron Rising, it it didn't seem like – They really had much trouble uh, doing what they wanted to do against that Florida defense.
1: Yeah, I mean, honestly, this one was just tough because I I really don't think the defense was was really the one to blame here. I mean, look, I, I think the reason this was an especially frustrating game for Florida fans is the fact that I don't think it really felt like Florida was particularly overmatched in this game. But with that being said, the final score wasn't really particularly close and it never really felt like they had a fighting chance at the end. I mean, to me, let's just start where it matters the most, right? And that's in the trenches. I mean, Florida's offensive line got absolutely dominated in this game. I mean, uh, it was it was pretty unbelievable. Now, granted, they were missing their starting center, so that you know certainly played a role. He's probably the best offensive lineman on the team overall, but still, I, I mean, the, the tackles, the starting tackles, were getting beat off the edge all night. You know, they couldn't run the ball. This is a run first team. They couldn't run the ball at all. I actually thought Graham Mertz played pretty well. I mean, for being under pressure all night, you know, he he, he's not a guy that is mobile enough to get away from that, kind of like Anthony Richardson was last year. So it was just a bit of a different dynamic there. But I thought he ran the offense well and executed the plan. The problem was more with the plan itself. I mean, you know, it was, the scheme was just not, very aggressive you know the the they were moving the ball slowly when they were trailing in the second half it wasn't very aggressive and Utah came out with a brilliant game plan I thought and Florida never really came out of what they were trying to do even when it clearly wasn't working so I mean to me yeah my biggest concerns are with Billy Napier right now because of a few things I mean first of all the offensive play calling he's his own offensive coordinator um and he also doesn't have an on-field special teams coordinator either you know I mean So And we saw a lot of special teams problems in this game. We saw a missed field goal. We saw multiple punts down inside the five. We saw the team penalized for having two players with the same number on the field for a punt return. And that was just one of many procedural penalties. I mean, there was several false starts, a key one on a fourth and short. There were... Illegal formations, I mean, this really felt like a botched coaching job, you know, in a game that maybe Florida wasn't good enough to win, but but could have been a lot more competitive than it was, especially because I think the defense was actually good after that first play. They gave up a 70-yard touchdown on a busted coverage, but after that, I thought they settled in fine.
0: Yeah, when you look at it, especially the procedural problem, that led to a Utah touchdown or a Utah score, uh, which, you know, it just seems like those things, they start to add up, and that's when you start looking at coaching, they got to put you in a position to win and really it didn't come down to it. Uh, It'll be really interesting to see how Florida looks. Now, this weekend, it's not much of a matchup, right? We know it's not going to be a huge game. We expect Florida to win. Their next big test is going to come the week after when they play a Tennessee team that got a slow start in their game against Virginia but then just poured it on. Uh, And so you're going to have to really contend, and that defense is going to have to be able to contend. Uh, and their defense. When you look at Tennessee, they've got a couple pass rushers who can get after you. So Graham Mertz will be tested in that game. But we'll get more into that game next week. Let's talk about the game that pretty much the entire world was watching: Colorado at TCU. Uh, for all intents and purposes, this was this was great football. Uh, you know, you may not like the high-scoring affair with Colorado winning forty-five to forty-two, but when you really look at this game, it was entertaining. Uh, and we got to see Shadur Sanders, you know, the rest of the world got to find out about him. We kind of knew about him at Jackson State last year. But now when you look at how he played, uh, you know, he had a standout rookie or rookie a, a freshman. Sorry, I was talking NFL standards here. Uh, when you look at that freshman running back from, from Colorado, he was fantastic. And really, TCU defensively had no answer uh, for them or or Travis Hunter, who, who played, I believe, over 100 combined snaps in this game.
1: Dion took quite a victory lap after this game and it was, it was well-deserved, you know, uh, there was a lot of doubt about how competitive this team would be, put a lot of those doubts to rest in week one, man, Uh, this offense looks legit. I mean, look, TCU, we knew they were going to take a step back. We knew this wasn't the same team that won or went to the national championship last year. But also, I mean, and, and maybe that step back is even bigger than we thought it was going to be. But I, I don't want to take anything away from what Colorado did in this game. Because, I mean, Shador Sanders in his first FBS start, fantastic against the Power 5 team. I mean, threw for 510 yards. This offense is special. And you've got a guy like Travis Hunter. I mean, he might be the best overall player in the entire country. I mean, Played 129 snaps in this game. That's unbelievable. Had 11 catches, more than 100 yards on offense. Had an amazing interception in, on defense where it looked like he kind of just magneted toward the ball like a Madden player or something like that. It was unreal. I mean, look, there are going to be questions about this team, and we'll see how they, they kind of play as the season goes on. But look, we'll get into it in a second. They've got Nebraska this weekend, and then they've got Colorado State. This team could be 3-0 and when it goes to play Oregon in a couple of weeks. I mean – the, the train could get off the rails here.
0: Oh, absolutely. And, you know, it, it's probably another stinging thing when you look at Notre Dame and they had to watch Dylan Edwards, who decommitted from them, decided to go to Colorado. He only had over 100 yards receiving as a running back, uh, not to mention the key, some of the key runs that he had in this game. Uh, overall, yes, you had, to be, you had to be very impressed. But let's talk about a game that you had to watch that you covered this weekend Sunday night in Orlando, Florida State versus LSU. If you just look at the first half, you're like, "This is going to be a fantastic finish." Uh, the way that that Jordan Travis was playing and, and Jaden Daniels was playing, and it got off the rails really quickly in the second half. Uh, just just watching, just Florida State just poured on, uh, and really LSU didn't have an answer until late in the game when it was it was well in hand. When you look back at this game. I know a lot of people, especially Notre Dame fans, had fun making fun of Brian Kelly, uh, but but you got to be impressed uh, in a Florida State team who looks like right now. I mean, if we go off one week, I know knee jerk reaction here, but uh, Florida State looks like the best team in the ACC, best team in the
1: ACC, and maybe maybe even more than that. Um, yeah, I, I mean, like like you said, you know, thirty one nothing run in the second half for FSU, really impressive. And I just want to circle back to what I said last week when we previewed this game. You know, I said that I think LSU secondary is the weakness on defense and maybe on the entire roster. But I wasn't sure if FSU had the downfield threats to test that. Uh, They do. I feel pretty confident now saying they do. You know, Keon Coleman transferred from Michigan State was phenomenal. Uh, He went over 100 yards, had three touchdowns. Johnny Wilson also went over 100 yards in this game. I mean, Jordan Travis, this offense... Look, Jordan Travis wasn't, like, perfect in this game. He had some mistakes, had some bad throws and bad decisions, but he's such an electric player. I mean, the way he just keeps plays alive, extends them, get out, gets outside the pocket and makes things happen, it's really special. And, I mean, you know, I think the real story to me, as much as everyone was talking about the FSU def- uh, offense, to me the main story was the defense and particularly the front four. I thought it was fantastic against an LSU offensive line that sort of all of us in tune with, with the team – thought was going to be one of the team's strengths this year, you know, returning almost everyone from last year's team. They got absolutely bullied in this game. So, you know, I think offensively LSU wasn't running the ball at all outside of the plays Jaden Daniels was making. I thought Daniels was fine. You know, he was productive, wasn't a particularly efficient game from him, and he was under a lot of pressure. But, I mean, yeah, it it was really a disappointing second half. And to me, the overall biggest takeaway from this game is is where was Harold Perkins? I mean, you know, we knew – that he was going to be uh, playing more reps off the ball and coverage as an inside linebacker. But that's where he played almost the entire game. And he was really just MIA in this one. Uh, barely impacted the stat sheet, didn't really impact the game at all. I mean, this is a guy that was one of the most disruptive pass rushers in the country last year. I understand you want to kind of have a more developed repertoire with him. But like at, at some point, you got to just use this guy the way he's going to impact the game.
0: Yeah, it's really when you look at uh, an LSU defense with Harold Perkins. And, again, I was one of those guys very high on him last year. You're right. You know, if you really want to, you know, try and develop him in other areas, I don't feel like going up against Florida State is the time to do it. Uh, really, you needed him on the edge, getting after the quarterback, trying to slow down this offense. Like you said, scored 31 unanswered in the second half in that game. Uh, but let's stick, it, let's stick in the ACC. Clemson versus Duke. You know, I'm one of those people that I thought, okay, Kate Klubnik, Garrett Riley. I, you know, I, I expected that this offense was going to be humming. Uh, this offense scored one touchdown in the second quarter. They had other opportunities, but they couldn't score. And and really, Duke had control of this game, really from the start to the end. I mean, they did have a seven to six halftime deficit, but really, when you got into the second half, twenty two unanswered points in. They were able to put away a Clemson team that looks like uh, things are really starting to unravel uh, in Death Valley. Yeah, I mean, first of all,
1: just hats off to the Duke Duke defense and Mike Elko. I mean, brilliant. I I mean, you know, I knew going into this game, I expected he's one of the best defensive minds in the country. So I expected they'd have a good game plan against Kate Klubnick, what he put on tape at the end of last year. What I didn't expect was a defense that looked legitimately elite. Which it did. I mean, they were flying to the ball. I mean, they weren't letting tackles get broken. It was really impressive to watch. They were always in position. And I mean, you know, they got a good, not great game from Riley Riley Leonard, the quarterback, and that was really all they needed. You know, and looking at Clemson, I mean, my biggest takeaway from this game is that they just don't trust Cade Klovnik to throw the ball downfield. I mean, they were running checkdowns all game, even when they were down multiple scores. They just were not aggressive enough in in getting the ball downfield. And I mean, I understand why Klubnik had some shaky decisions, but also this is your quarterback. This is the guy you're rolling with. You've got to let him try to win the game for you with the talent he has. Because We saw some of the throws he made. We saw the talent he has, and he's a really good threat running the ball. I honestly didn't even realize quite how effective he would be in that regard. Um, But yeah, I mean, there are concerns for Clemson because you made that big change at offensive coordinator. You went and brought in the outside hire and with Garrett Riley and the offense looked exactly the same and you're still missing playmakers out wide. You know, you haven't had those in a few years and you refuse to use the transfer portal. So, you know, we'll see, obviously, you know, Clemson could easily write the ship. This Duke team might be really good, but I've got a lot of questions, especially because of how good teams like Florida state and North Carolina look this weekend.
0: And not to mention, uh, Clemson will be seeing Florida State and you know in Death Valley in just a few weeks. They get some tune ups, but we'll see. Uh, but I'm starting to think that Florida Atlantic Clemson game might be a fun one to watch and see how Tom Herman attacks Clemson uh, if they're afraid to really challenge go down the field. It might be a sneaky interesting game. But let's talk about the Battle of the Carolinas that happened in Charlotte, North Carolina, South Carolina. You know, these are two teams they've met before. We know this. And and where you look at where we expected South Carolina to be, could they be as, you know, as good as they were late in the season last year when they took down a Clemson team, when they took down a Tennessee team, but they didn't look like quite that same team against a North Carolina defense that let's be honest, weren't great, but it seemed like as the game went on, Gene Chizik figured some stuff out uh, and Drake may did what Drake may does and was able to put that game away. Yeah, I mean, to me,
1: the story of this game is the North Carolina defense. I mean, first of all, they had nine sacks in this game, which is unbelievable. That's the most they've had in a game since they started keeping track of the stat back in 2000. So uh, almost 25 years, best performance in that regard. Um, and, you know, you gave up some yards to Spencer Rattler. But to me, the, the key thing here that made this so impressive is this wasn't sort of the the Spencer Rattler implosion game that we've seen before? He, like he didn't throw an interception in this game. He was pretty good considering he was under pressure literally all night. But they you know they squandered opportunities when they had driven the ball down the field. They couldn't complete drives. North Carolina's offense honestly wasn't like incredible in this game. I didn't think you know they made some really nice plays, but Drake May had a couple of interceptions. Um, also didn't have Tez Walker, the, the star transfer from Kent State, who's sort of still awaiting an eligibility decision from the NCAA. We'll see what happens there. Uh, but regardless, you know, I thought the defense really stepped up to the plate in a game where the offense made some mistakes that probably last season would have sunk it in a game like this. Didn't this time around. Credit to Gene Chiswick for the offseason
0: work they did. And the fact that they did not allow South Carolina to really run the football at all. If you really look at that, I mean, they had negative two yards uh, total. Uh, when you factor in the, the sack numbers. But but still, when you're getting 1.9 yards per carry, you're not going to threaten a lot of defense, and they're just going to pin their ears back and get after the quarterback because they don't think that you can run the football. And, and that's that was factual, and we saw it, and that's why North Carolina 31-17 over South Carolina. And, you know, despite the fact that Clemson didn't look great, some ACC teams might be a surprise this year, and uh, we could see another season like we did a couple years ago with Clemson not even – making it to the ACC title game. Again, that's a knee-jerk reaction, but we'll see how it plays out. Now, there were some other upset losses uh, this weekend, particularly in the Big 12. You look at Baylor losing to Texas State. Uh, my team, Texas Tech, losing at Wyoming in double overtime was a little bit shocking, especially when you're considering how that game started. Texas Tech was up 17-0 after the first quarter. It didn't score again game until near the end of regulation. And then, and then in the double overtime, was there a particular upset loss that really struck you like you didn't see this coming whatsoever?
1: Yeah, really the Baylor one. Um, probably one of the more surprising week one upsets we've seen in a long, long time. Uh, you know, credit to G.J. Kinney, uh, First game at Texas State, a Texas State program that had really been down in the dumps the last couple years. years. Um, looked like he had a pretty tough rebuild ahead of him. Maybe not, though. You know, this is a guy that I don't want to get too ahead of ahead of myself here, but I think this is a guy that the next time there's a major big 12 opening, it's going to, you know, a big opening in the state of Texas is going to get a look at that because of what he's done so early in his career. I mean, look, this was just a wild game. You know, TJ Finley, you know, a guy we've seen a lot of between LSU and Auburn transferred to Texas State. Absolutely torched this Baylor defense, um, which has got to be disappointing for Dave Aranda to see. And and I mean, you know, to add insult to injury, I mean, first of all, this game wasn't even really particularly close. They kind of had to come back to make it even look semi-respectable, you know, still lost by 11 against a team you were like a 27-point favorite against. But to make things even worse, you know, quarterback Blake Shaping gets hurt in this game. He's out for the next few weeks. Uh, and you got Utah next up on the schedule coming to town. So that's going to be a really tough game. Sawyer-Robertson, a Mississippi State transfer, probably going to get the start there. Um, you know, Aranda locked into a contract for a pretty long time, so I'm not sure there's really a lot of pressure going on here. But, you know, took a step back last year and looking like they're maybe going to take an even bigger one this year.
0: Yeah, that was kind of disappointing. But like you said, shaping a guy that kind of led them to that Big 12 title champ- or that championship. Couple years ago, many yeah. thought Baylor was gonna be the team last year, finished six and seven, start out this year 0 and one with a loss to Texas State at home. Uh that's a top one. And like you said, TJ Finley, he, he accounted for four touchdowns in this game, one on the ground, three through the air. You know, you look back at the way TJ Finley played the last several years, that that was a little bit of a shock to see how he could come out and just kind of take over that game. Uh, but that's gonna wrap up last week's games. Let's get into this week's games. Uh, the first game I really want to talk about, and, and it's not our feature game. Uh, I, I think everybody can agree. Texas, Alabama is our feature game. But here's a game that I really like and I wanted to talk about. Notre Dame, NC State. Now, this one, Tyler, is a little interesting because I feel like this is really going to tell us if how legit Notre Dame is. Obviously, the first two games of the year, they weren't really challenged. So I look at an NC State team that – in recent years have been a really good, a really solid team out of the ACC. So how are you feeling about this matchup against Notre Dame?
1: Yeah. I mean, I agree with you. I think, first of all, this is going to be the first real test for for Sam Hartman in this new Notre Dame offense. You know, we'll see, you know, I think we kind of have a suspicion that maybe the ceiling's raised a little bit there with Sam Hartman. I think we'll kind of see if that's really true uh, this week. Um But, you know, looking at NC State, I don't really know what to make of them. You know, week one, they went on the road, won a tough game, ended up winning by 10, but it was pretty competitive on the road against UConn, who, you know, a team that had struggled in recent years, but made a bowl game last year, might be a pretty solid team. So maybe not that bad of a performance there. We'll see. You know, I think with Brennan Armstrong, at quarterback now, the UVA transfer, I think there's the potential that this could be a bit of a shootout. You know, I think. The NC State offense, if it starts clicking, could 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 have some success. Um, I think I do think Notre Dame wins this game personally, but I, I will be really interested to see just how Sam Hartman and the offense looks against a team that you know is a bit more competitive.
0: Bold prediction alert! I got Brennan Armstrong in the North Carolina State Wolfpack taking down the Irish this weekend. Uh, I think his ability to run the football, throw the football, uh, is gonna is really gonna put some some pressure on that defense. Now I know Hartman can throw it around. Uh, but I think that defense is going to do, you know, a lot more than what they've seen the last couple of weeks. So for me, I'm, I'm really liking the Wolfpack this one uh, to, to not only cover, but to, to win this football game against Notre Dame. Yeah, I mean, that's an interesting choice.
1: You know, I think it's definitely possible. Um, I, I like that pick as a bold prediction.
0: All right, but well, let's get into the game that everybody wants to talk about. Texas, Alabama, we saw this game last year. It really looked like Texas was going to run away with this game. Quinn Ewers, the way that he was playing, uh, until Dallas Turner, that hit on him, took him out of the game. They had to go with Hudson Card. They still had to lead late, but Bryce Young did Bryce Young things, uh, leading them out. Are we going to see a real close game in this regard? Is this going to be a tough matchup? for Who really has the edge in this game?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, let's just be, let's just be frank here Uh, for Texas. It's not going to be easy, right? You're going on the road. You're going to Tuscaloosa. I'm sure that Nick Saban has made his players well aware of all the discourse that people like us have had about how Texas probably would have won this game last year if Quinn Ewers hadn't been hurt. I'm sure they're going to have a little bit of a chip on their shoulder. It's a former Saban assistant and Steve Sarkisian going up against him. With all that being said though, Texas needs to find a way to win this game. You know, they were in it last year. They had a really good chance of pulling off that upset and we have a lot of questions about Alabama. You know, I think a lot of people are crowning Jalen Milroe and the new coordinators and they looked good against middle Tennessee state. Um, we'll see how they look against a team that has a pulse, you know, this week. So, I mean, to me, it is going to be tough, but I look at the way this game played out last year, how good Texas's offense looked before Quinn Ewers got hurt. Alabama's lost some pieces on defense. I mean, it, You know, Jalen Milrow again looked good, but this is a Texas defense that I think I'm pretty high on. Uh, It's going to be a big test for him, probably the biggest test of his career to this point when he's seen game action. Look, uh, I'm just going to say it. I think it's going to be tough, but I'm going bold prediction alert here. I think Texas pulls it off. I think they go into Tuscaloosa and they beat Alabama and get a really uh, tenure-defining win for Steve Sarkeesian.
0: Yeah, the real big key here, and I really like that bold prediction, and had you not alerted me before when we were – Uh, getting our rundown together for this show, I probably would have went with this pick. You know, I think when you look offensively, you know, with Xavier Worthy back, they added A.D. Mitchell from Georgia. You had Jordan Whittington. Uh, Their running back stable is pretty good. When you look at C.J. Baxter, Jonathan Brooks, some of the guys that they have, uh, I really think that they're going to put a lot of pressure on an an Alabama team who, you know, defense, uh, who hasn't seen it yet, obviously, because of who they played, Middle Tennessee. Uh, I really find it, it was almost hilarious if you got on social media, and it seemed like everywhere you turned, that Alabama fans were like, "See, told you the offense is better. See, told you the defense is better because we got new coordinators." But let's tap the brakes a little bit. It was Middle Tennessee. Now, if they look that good against Texas, uh, I will start being a believer of all they needed was a coordinator change at their on their two units. I'm actually not gonna pick them, Texas, to win this game. Uh, you know, after thinking about it, it is in Tuscaloosa, tough place to win. Uh, I, I'm going to go with the Alabama Crimson Tide in this game. Uh, the next game we're going to talk about, it features another Texas team, Texas A&M, the revitalized Aggies, who are coming off a drubbing of, well, let me check my notes. Oh, New Mexico, whatever. Uh, not not a team that I expect to win very many football games, and Danny Gonzalez is probably going to be fired by season's in. Although I will say they did look good. Connor Wegman looked good. When you look at the receivers, they looked good. Evan Stewart looked great in this game. But, again, I want to see how they look uh, this week. They're they're going up against a Miami team that, well, quite frankly, you and I have been very low on. Uh, So how do you see this game going in a rematch uh, from last year when Miami could barely muster up nine points in that game against an Aggies defense that was very inconsistent? Yeah, I think looking at the games we're talking about this week, previewing,
1: this is probably the one that's hardest to predict for me, because I really I don't know what to make of either of these teams. I mean, they both, you know, won by games pretty easily last week. Um, no real tests there. And I mean, both of them, I think it's it's kind of a must-win game, it feels like for both sides because they both come into this season, you know, looking to bounce back. They both went five and seven last year for Miami. It was year one under Cristobal. So a little bit more acceptable there. Uh, but I think both these teams are looking to bounce back, you know, pretty strongly. And I think only one of them is going to be feeling good about themselves after this game. You know, whoever loses this game, it's going to be a pretty, de- it's going to be a pretty bad feeling moving forward. And I think for that reason, I think it's a little bit more important for Mario Cristobal to win this game, um, especially because you know last year you know you lost to them in a pretty ugly like seventeen to nine game. They were coming off their home loss to App State, so that was a pretty frustrating loss to take. And now you've got them at home. I think Cristobal needs to win this game. Um, and I mean, mostly just because I don't think, I don't know how much pressure Jimbo's even under at all. Uh, but it's an interesting matchup. I think I kind of lean towards Texas A&M though, because I think they're more talented. I think Connor Webman is, is kind of clicking with this offense now. And I think they're just, I think they're going to overpower Miami in this
0: game. I'm going opposite and not to play devil's advocate. Uh, I just don't trust that offense yet. And I, I, when you look at Texas A&M, uh, and the fact that they're going to be playing this in South Florida. I, I got Miami covering here, the plus four and a half, and I think that went out right. I think it's a closer game than many will expect. Uh, I, I just – it comes down to which offense or which defense do I trust more, and really I, it's kind of a coin flip for me. I, I think you could agree. This feels like a coin flip game, uh, but I'm going to take the home team here. I'm going to go with, with Miami uh, to win this game against Texas a and Yeah, I mean, you know, I think it'll be interesting to
1: see, you know, which of these teams sort of is able to – because I think it'll be a step forward for whoever gets the win, right? I think whoever gets the win will kind of have some momentum going into into conference play, and especially for Miami and ACC that, you know, maybe not too deep, so.
0: Well, let's get into it. We're going to stick in the state of Texas once again. Uh, Texas Tech, my team, going up against Oregon uh, in Lubbock. These two teams haven't met on the field. Since 1992, so it's not a team. These two teams aren't familiar with each other, although Oregon might be a little familiar with the quarterback that's going to be suiting up at Texas Tech, Tyler chug who transferred over from Oregon to Texas Tech, which was a little surprising when he opted to go to Tech. Uh, looking at this game, there was a lot of fanfare about this game in the preseason, but a an upset loss to Wyoming in double overtime has kind of caused this game to lose a little bit of its luster. Uh, from an outsider perspective, you, know, you don't have ties to either team. How are you feeling about this game, and has it lost any luster despite that loss in Wyoming, or are you still buying into this game?
1: I mean, it certainly has lost some luster. I mean, there's no doubt about it. I mean, Texas Tech didn't really look like a team that's poised to compete in the Big 12 like we thought maybe it could be. Um, but with that being said, I'm not writing this game off completely. Um, you know, I think, look – losing to Wyoming in double overtime, like that was tough, but that was also a game that Texas Tech like had control of for most of it. Like it's a hard place to go play. Like teams don't like to go do that. Texas Tech probably shouldn't go do that ever again. Um, but so I think moving forward, look, this could be a competitive game. I think, you know, Oregon dropped 81 points on a bad FCS team last week. So that offense is obviously, uh, you know, clicking to begin the year, but we'll see. I mean, I think To me, the the really interesting thing here is like obviously, you know, Tyler Shuck going against his former team. This game is going to be in Lubbock, so there will be, you know, it will be a little bit tougher in that regard for Oregon. I do have Oregon winning this game, though. Um, I'll just be real; I I don't think Texas Tech will be able to keep up with them, especially with some of the struggles we saw from that offense uh, against Wyoming. But yeah, I mean, I think uh, potentially interesting game here.
0: Well, when I look at this game, let me just tell you, as somebody who grew up there. Night games in Lubbock, Texas at Jones AT&T Stadium are weird. Uh, they can be weird. Just a variety of things can happen. Um, you can just look in the last several seasons. Uh, ask you know, ask Iowa State how, how that game ended in Lubbock uh, a couple seasons ago. Look at Oklahoma last year. Things can happen for Texas Tech. But it's going to be really interesting because we saw an offense that looked pretty good to start the game, and then they kind of disappeared, and you just felt like, Wyoming was building this momentum in a game that they probably should have never been in, uh, except for the offense just couldn't get going. It's almost like Wyoming made all the adjustments. Texas Tech couldn't. They've got to find a way to make the adjustments this week because Oregon's offense will challenge you when you look at Bucky Irving, uh, when you look at Bo Nix and that offense and what they can do. They're really going to challenge it. I think this might be a higher scoring affair than some people might think. It's going to be close, uh, but like you, I'm taking Oregon to win this game outright. Uh, in, in Lubbock it, It's going to be a tough matchup But you know, one that I'm certainly looking forward to uh, This coming weekend Now we're going to get to another couple of, Now this matchup features top 25 Opponents And not a lot of talk about it But this is a game that I'm really excited about We're talking about Ole Miss Tulane down in New Orleans uh, Really interesting because Tulane's a team That we've talked about on the show before I know you're high on them with Willie Pritz, Michael Pratt, and what they are able to do offensively. Uh, but you look at Ole Miss last week, Jackson Dart, it was Mercer. I get that. But he looked a lot better than what I was expecting. I really thought this was going to be the Spencer Sanders show. Dart looked good. Trey Harris looked fantastic uh, with four touchdowns in his first game with Ole Miss since transferring uh, from, from Louisiana Tech. What, what do you take away from this game and, and – Uh, Are we in for a show this weekend in New Orleans? I think we are. I mean, I think this is a
1: fascinating game, Um, you know, for a few reasons. I think looking at Ole Miss, you know, yeah, Jackson Dart did play well against – against Mercer. There's no doubt about that, but I still think this is an Ole Miss team that could potentially be in the midst of a bit of a quarterback controversy, you know, especially when you have such an experienced guy like Spencer Sanders currently sitting on the bench. I mean, all three of the quarterbacks, uh, Dart, Sanders, and Walker Howard, they all played in this game. Uh, Sanders and Dart more than Howard. But uh, so I think, you know, this is, uh, I think you could certainly see some changes made still uh, if, if, if Dart were to come out struggling against Tulane. Look, I, I, I mean, I've said it a lot on this show. I really like Tulane. I think you know they bring back a lot despite losing their running back from last year. I think winning this game against a ranked SEC team would be a huge springboard for them going into what could be another really special season. And you know what? I think it's going to be a shootout, and I think they do it. I think they pull out the win over Ole Miss. I think they pull the upset. I have enough questions about Lane Kiffin's team coming into this season, particularly on defense.
0: This is my lock of the week, and I'm going actually going with Ole Miss to win this football game. I think just offensively they've got too much firepower for Tulane. Uh, we do know Tulane did very, a very good job last week against a very talented South Alabama team, and they won pretty handedly 37-17. Uh, but I just think Ole Miss, with all that they added in the offseason, when you talk about the transfer portal, I think it's going to be too much for Tulane in this matchup. So that's why I'm going with with Ole Miss in this game. Now, if Tulane had a better run game that I was worried about, I might say Tulane here, but we're going with Ole Miss just because of everything that they have. Mm-hmm. would just like to point out Tulane did play a
1: legitimately good team in week one. They pretty heavily dominated a very good South Owl team, um, which has a good defensive team. So that, actually, that gives me a lot of confidence uh, heading into the Ole Miss game just because they've actually
0: been more tested to this point than Ole Miss. Regardless of which side you're on, whether you're Team Patrick and going with Ole Miss or Team Tyler, going with two lane here, um, I think it's going to be a great game, and you should be tuning into it, uh, regardless if, if whether you have a dog in this fight or not. Uh, another game that's, that's going to be interesting here, we got a Power 5 versus Power 5 matchup. Illinois going to Kansas, a place that they haven't played since 1892 uh, in Lawrence. The last four matchups have all been in Champaign, Illinois but not since 1968. You know, Kansas is a team that's really been sneaky when you look at Devin Neal running the football. Their quarterback is really good in Jalen Daniels, not to be confused with Jaden Daniels at LSU. Uh, Their offense is good, and they have some playmakers on the defensive side of the ball. What's going to be interesting with Ryan Walters no longer at Illinois, and they struggled against a very good Toledo team last week were able to pull out the win. Can Illinois do enough defensively to slow down Uh, Kansas offense that looked like it was clicking, albeit it was against Missouri State uh, this past weekend.
1: Yeah. uh, So first of all, this game is on Friday night, I believe. Uh, And if that's the case, yeah, Friday night, definitely watch this game. Uh, Nothing else on TV. This is going to be an interesting game, I think, really sneakily interesting. The kind of game that a couple years ago wouldn't have really had any juice at all. Uh, But this year is really interesting because – I think among other reasons, it's going to be a cool, like contrast of styles kind of game. You know, obviously an Illinois team that's a Brett Bielema team, you know, sort of just doing Wisconsin light at Illinois, you know, they run the ball, they play really tight defense, Uh, even without Ryan Walters. I think that's going to continue to be the case Um, versus a Kansas team that, you know, spreads the ball out is a pretty electric offense. And what's exciting about this is we're going to see Jalen Daniels uh, return to the field. You know, didn't play in week one. Jason Bean got the start was, you know, did. Took care of business against Missouri State, but you know, Jalen Daniels was really the quarterback that kind of spurred their 6 0 start last year, or 5 0, 6 0, however many games they won to start the year last year. He really spurred that and uh, you know, with it with his play, battled injuries down the stretch, came back, but was never quite the same. Uh they're hoping he's healthy now. And if he's healthy in this game, it could be a real show. Um so I think Kansas does win this game, but I'm really curious just to see, first of all, how healthy Jalen Daniels looks and what that offense looks like, if so.
0: You know, I'm, I'm with you. I'm going with the Jayhawks in this game, but I, I will add this caveat. If Luke Altmaier is able to take over this game, I, I really think with his ability, he can run the football a little bit. He can throw the football, limit the turnovers. I think Illinois could win this game. However, I just think there's too much on the Kansas side to really, for Illinois to be able to win this football game, which is a shock because just a couple of years ago we were just talking about how this Kansas team had no talent under Les Miles before he was fired, and then they had to go in another route. Uh, I'll agree with you, though. Kansas, Friday night. Now, normally on the college 12-pack, we stick with 12 topics, but there's a, another game we haven't talked about yet that I feel like we needed to. So we're going with a 13-pack, the Baker's Dozen. Nebraska, Colorado, an old Big 12 matchup, and now we get to see this game. A pair of coaches with contrasting styles, Matt Rule, known as a program builder, he's got Nebraska coming in to Boulder to face Coach Prime uh, and that reloaded Colorado team. How do you see this going down uh, this weekend or early kickoff? This is a big noon kickoff. Uh, how, how do you see this game going? Yeah, another noon Eastern time kickoff
1: and another game that I think one of the just – Fascinated by you just out of sheer, you know, morbid curiosity um, over what Colorado is able to do in this game, you know, home opener under Dion, obviously going to be an electric crowd there, I'm sure. Uh, even with an early kick locally, um, but look, I think that I, I think that it's going to be interesting because I think this is a tougher test defensively for for Nebraska, uh, for Colorado. Nebraska's defense is is pretty solid, I think. You know, looked good last week against Minnesota, a game that, by the way. They lost on a last-second field goal uh, in Matt Rule's debut. Really a game they probably should have won. Uh, According to ESPN's Bill Connolly, they had like a 6% post-game win expectancy in that game, Minnesota did. Uh, So a really brutal loss to take in week one. But defensively, Nebraska looked good, and I think that they'll be a lot tougher for for Colorado to do the things they did against TCU uh, to Nebraska. But with that being said, I don't think this Nebraska offense is built to keep up in a shootout um, at all. You know, Jeff Sims threw three picks against Minnesota – Minnesota is not exactly a world beater of a team offensively, Uh, nothing compared to what this Colorado team brings to the table in terms of speed and athleticism and playmakers. So, actually, this is my
0: lock of the week.
1: Uh, Colorado wins Deion's home opener against Nebraska um, pretty comfortably, too.
0: I'm with you. I'm I'm going with Colorado as well. And and for something that you talked about, Jeff Sims' inability to protect the football, Uh, Travis Hunter is a pretty good ball hawk. Uh, We know he can catch the football. Uh, We saw it last week. He had 11 receptions in that game uh, and an interception. I wouldn't be surprised if we saw another big game from Travis Hunter, intercepting the ball, catching the ball. I I agree. I just – when you look at the way that they build these teams up, and, you know, weeks ago I probably would have leaned Nebraska here. Uh, But based on what I saw last week and um, for both sides, when you talk about Nebraska and Colorado, I agree with you. I just don't think that they have the offensive firepower – to keep up with Dylan Edwards, uh, running back, or, or Shadur Sanders, or, or the, that any number of wide receivers that they're going to line up for Colorado. So I'm with you there, Tyler. I'm I'm going with Colorado to win the home opener. Start two and O likely three and O as they get uh, get ready for Pac-12 play in just a few weeks.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's you know could be really fascinating. You know, you look at that schedule, and there's tough games, but there's a lot of winnable games. And if they're three and zero going into that Oregon game, and they pull that one off, who knows where the ceiling is this year?
0: Uh, I would expect a lot more big time recruits to be committing to playing for Deion Sanders if they start the season four and zero with a win against Oregon uh, in week four. Uh, but that's gonna do it for this edition of the College Football back i Tyler. I'm Patrick. See you next week.